Thanks, Josh. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. These are the words of a man on a mission, a man whose life has been so changed, so utterly transformed, that he is almost unrecognizable from his old self. They are the words of a man who has encountered the gospel of Jesus, and as a result has had such a seismic shift of paradigm and priority that no matter how much pressure he is under, his message remains unchanged. They are the words of Saul, later known as Paul, who is the main focus of our passage today. And as we'll see, Saul is a man who is completely unashamed. But before we jump into everything, um, I just want to take a minute for you guys to get to know me. Um, like Josh said, my name is Talon Pervenecki, this very sweaty man before you. I am very envious of Josh's flip-flops right now, but like I said, I had to wear my preaching shoes today. So, <laughs> um, I'm married to the one and only Katie Pervenecki, who can't be here this morning. She's experiencing some back pain, so she's tuning in online right over there. Um, so if you guys could be praying for her, I'd really appreciate that. Um, and I'm not a part of uh, leadership or anything here at King's Cross. That honor belongs to several other amazing people. I'm just a missionary to college students at UCSD who has the tremendous privilege of being a member of this church community. Um, and as Josh was saying, our pastor Obed and his family are currently in the UK. Um, and that there's still a few more hurdles for them. So I just want to reiterate what he was saying, and let's just keep praying for them, um, that they'd be able to return quickly because we really do miss them dearly. Um, in the meantime, though, you're stuck with me, at least for this Sunday. Um, and I certainly wish I could imitate uh, Pastor Obed's fantastic British accent. But I know for an absolute fact that I can't. I know this because I started to read Harry Potter out loud to Katie uh, because I found out that she had never read the books and that seemed like an absurdity to me. Uh, so, but she only agreed that we could read it together if I read it out loud in a British narrator voice, which I honestly think might be a net loss for her. Uh, but anyway, you do what you have to do, you know? Um, but that's enough about me. Let's uh, dive into the word. Uh, like Josh said, this year we've been working our way through the book of Acts in order to study the life and growth of the early church. Um, we took a break this past month as some of our leadership walked us through our devoted series, but now we're back. And our main text today is Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 31. Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 31. And as you all turn there or scroll there on your iPhones, which is apparently the superior phone, <laughs> Um, I'll get us caught up to speed. Uh, we left off in the first part of Acts chapter 9, where we were reintroduced to this character, Saul, a Jewish religious leader who had been heavily persecuting the early church, doing everything in his power to stamp out this Jesus movement. But when he was on his way to go arrest some Christ followers in Damascus, he has this crazy vision where Jesus appears to him and to make a very long story a little bit shorter, he, be, he himself becomes a Christian. 
he ends up in Damascus where instead of attempting to eliminate the church, he begins to expand it by proclaiming the name of Jesus in the city. This is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter nine. And today we'll be looking at three reasons for Saul's bold, unashamed ministry and investigate how we too can be equally unashamed. So we'll be looking at Saul's mission, Saul's opposition, and Saul's motivation. His mission, opposition, and motivation. All right, so let's start in Acts 9, um, starting in verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Because remember, he was persecuting the church beforehand. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. All right, so first, let's go ahead and take a look at Saul's mission. What is the mission of Saul? When I was thinking about this, I thought I might be able to find it um, by jumping ahead to Acts chapter 13. Um, so in those few chapters, some very important stuff happens that we'll be talking about. But all the way in Acts, chapters 13, after Acts chapter 13, we see that um, Saul and this man named Barnabas um, are selected by the Holy Spirit and sent out to be missionaries to the Gentiles, missionaries to non-Jews. In other words, uh, we may think that God has called Saul to bring the gospel of Jesus to anyone and everyone in the ancient world who is not a Jew. And at first glance for me, when I was reading Saul's story, I'm like, this is his purpose. This is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, but as I dug into it a little bit more, I came to realize that this was Saul's calling, but it's not his primary mission. And while this feel like, might feel like splitting hairs a little bit, I think it's an important distinction to make. You know, calling implies like this specific job or vocation, like God has called me to do this thing. And I think that it's really easy to mistake our calling for a primary purpose. I see this all the time with college students. Like I said, I work with college students and college students are obsessed with this idea of figuring out their calling. Like, can you pray for me? I just want to find out my calling. I don't I want to know what God has called me to. I changed my major five times because I thought God called me into engineering and then I wanted to be a physicist and now I want to, you know, do missions work, like all of these different things. Um, because they think that once they figure out their calling, they can finally embark on fulfilling their purpose. And while I think purpose and calling are slightly connected, I think that it's not synonymous. And at the very least, we see that it's certainly not true in Saul's case. 
So just before our passage starts in verse 20, the Bible says that the now converted Saul is hanging out in the synagogues or in the Jewish places of worship. Then later on, while he's in Jerusalem, we see in verses 28 and 29 that he's with the Christians in Jerusalem, all of whom are Jews. And then when he moves out on to Tarsus, the text doesn't explicitly um, say, but there is a pretty heavy implication in Acts chapter 11 that he's with the Jews in Tarsus. In fact, we find out that uh, Saul's commissioning to the Gentiles I was talking about in Acts chapter 13 that doesn't happen uh, until about nine years after the moment that Saul becomes a Christian. It's the number that most scholars think. Nine years before he has the opportunity to fulfill his calling and is sent on his first missionary journey to the Gentiles. You know, if Saul's primary purpose is only to fulfill his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, then these nine years are just a total waste of time. He's just sitting around waiting. But as, as we see, even in this passage, it's not a total waste of time. And that's because Saul's mission is bigger than just preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. His purpose is more than just waiting for an opportunity to reach Jesus, to reach non-Jews, to preach Jesus to non-Jews. Saul's mission is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who's willing to listen, both Jew and Gentile. His mission is to bring the good news of Jesus, to bring the gospel to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. And he says so himself. And in the verse that I quoted to start off our time today, Romans 1.16, again, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, he will unashamedly share the gospel with anyone who's willing to listen. And so Saul doesn't sit on his hands for nine years waiting for his calling to come because his mission to, because his mission is to boldly preach the gospel of Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. He, he preaches Jesus to the Jews in Damascus, like, oh, basically like the day after he's baptized, he's out there preaching to the Jews, teaching them and proving that Jesus is the Christ. So much so, with so much success that the Jews are like, all right, we got to take care of this guy. We got to go kill him. And so then he runs and he flees and he goes to Jerusalem and there he preaches the gospel in Jerusalem. It says disputing with the Hellenists or the Greek speaking views, which at least for me, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that phrase, disputing with the Jews, uh, disputing with the Hellenists, it, it just kind of conjures up this image, something like Alexander Hamilton's rap battles with uh, Thomas Jefferson and the musical Hamilton. That's kind of what I think about them going back and forth. Um, and then in Tarsus, he continues to boldly proclaim the gospel. Why? Because he doesn't confuse his calling with his mission, with his primary purpose, which is to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus. And that's what I tell my students too. Like, yes, like seek the Lord before your calling. Seek God to figure out what you're supposed to do. But in the meantime, don't, don't waste your time. You have a, a mission. You have a purpose that God has given you. And you can do that right now. And the tragedy is so often, many of us end up confusing our calling and our mission. And the result is that we waste time sitting on our hands. Dawson Trotman, founder of The Navigators, which is the organization that I work for, 
uh, he, he used to share this story of, of interviewing 29 overseas missionary candidates who had all graduated from different colleges, universities, and seminaries. They were all well-educated and well-prepared. And all he, he, all he did is he asked them two questions in their interview. But for our purposes, we'll just focus on the last one that he asked them. He asked, do you know someone today by name who is living for Jesus Christ as a result of your ministry? And you know what he found? The majority had to admit that they were ready to cross an ocean, learn a foreign language, and attempt to do something in a strange culture that they hadn't even yet accomplished in their backyard because they hadn't even tried. These individuals had confused their calling with their mission. They were so focused on getting overseas that they forgot to share the gospel of Jesus with the people that were right around them, right where they were. Unlike Saul, they wasted some of the years of their life. And you might say to me, but Tylen, I don't know what my mission is. And to which I would respond, if you are a follower of Christ, yes, you do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and therefore every believer. That is our mission critical, our primary purpose, to glorify God through sharing his gospel with those around us. And right now, um, you might be feeling some excitement at this idea, like, yeah, I'm ready. Like, let me, let me go to my neighbors and share the gospel with them. But if you're anything like me, you're probably also experiencing this deep sense of anxiety and fear at the idea of acting on this God-given mission with Saul. I think a squirrel might be trying to kill me. I don't know what that was. <laughs> and that leads us into the next point we see in this passage, Saul's opposition. And right off the bat, in verse 23, we see the kind of opposition that Saul faced, right? When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. For me, for whatever reason, like when I'm reading Acts, it's just really easy for me to like read over those phrases. But I would like take a minute and put myself in, in Paul, Saul's shoes. I'm just there. I'm preaching the gospel to people. I'm kind of arguing with people. Um, and then all of a sudden, these people are like, all right, we're done with this. We're going to kill him. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and they want to kill him specifically because he's acting on this mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And we see that in the verse just before. He's preaching the gospel in Damascus. That's why they're out for his life. And this plot gets so serious that eventually Saul is forced to leave the city by some pretty Mission Impossible-esque standards. They like have a hole in the wall and they lower him down in a basket. Um, because they're watching the gates for any opportunity to kill him. And then he goes on to Jerusalem, and he, basically the same thing happens. In verse 29, it says that he's speaking and disputing against the Hellenists, and then again, they're seeking to kill him. And so he has to flee again and escape Jerusalem, and he ends up in Tarsus. Saul first faces verbal opposition to the gospel, followed by physical persecution. And as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts over the coming months, we'll see that the persecution will not stop here. 
but that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus will be met with severe opposition over and over and over and over again. Some of the apostles will be killed, some imprisoned. Saul will be stoned to within an inch of his life by an angry mob. And Jesus, and we, and we look back and we see that Jesus himself, the very son of God, faced severe opposition culminating to his death on the cross. But honestly, the stories of violence and persecution are not contained only in this book. But the history of the advancement of the kingdom of God and its values is littered with the bodies of the martyrs, is littered with the people who chose to, to preach the gospel everywhere they went, with the people who chose to stand for justice in the face of oppression, to stand for the values of the kingdom of God. Even today, men and women around the world are being persecuted for their faith, scattered, thrown in prison, and killed because they believe in Jesus Christ and they refuse to keep it to themselves. And sometimes this, this might kind of, like every time I think about this, it kind of kicks me in the butt. It's easy for me to forget um, that we face this kind of opposition, but honestly, it, it really shouldn't surprise me when I think about it. Is in fact, Jesus made it quite clear that the way would not be easy for anyone to follow him who chose to follow him. In Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And although we ourselves likely won't face persecution, like physical persecution for sharing our faith, at least not in this country. We may certainly face some, some opposition. And I don't know about you guys, but it's this fear of, it's the fear of this op opposition that oftentimes prevents me from sharing my faith. You know, thoughts of like, what, what do they think of me? What if they shame me for my faith? What if they don't like me? Tend to fill my mind. And honestly, more often than not, I listen to these thoughts end up remaining silent because of my fear. So often I find myself ashamed of the gospel, unwilling to lose status or, or being well thought of or well liked for the sake of Christ. But as we see in our text here today, Saul does not shrink back. He boldly and unashamedly preaches the gospel in Damascus, only leaving when his very life is in danger and then continues to share the gospel of Jesus in the face of opposition in Jerusalem, once again, only leaving when his life is threatened. Saul is a man completely unashamed of the gospel, willing to share it with anyone and everyone around him, regardless of the opposition that he faces. And the question that this leads me to ask is why? Why is Saul so passionate to share his faith? How is he able to continue on in the face of persecution? How are all of these people, all of these martyrs, all of these people who have given up their life for Jesus? What drives them to continue to share their faith until they're met with death and, and severe persecution? What drives the kingdom of God forward in the face of such severe opposition throughout history? And why is it that instead I'm the one who shrinks back in fear? It's just the simple thought that someone might not like me. And it's that question that leads us to our third and final point, Saul's motivation. 
What is it that motivates Saul to share his faith everywhere he goes, despite, in spite of all the significant opposition that he faces? On, and honestly, it's, it's super simple. It's just the gospel. It's Saul's experience of the simple, powerful, life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And Saul, in his own words, and in one of his letters, says that he himself, he views himself as the greatest of all sinners, the persecutor of the early church. And he knows that he was dead in his sin, yet by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was saved and given the righteousness of God. Saul knew that he deserved wrath, but got grace instead. Saul knew that God's love is so great that while he was still a sinner, Christ died for him. So that he might know Jesus and enter into a relationship with him. Listen to how Saul describes it in his letter to the church in Philippi. He wrote this later on in his life. In in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9, while in prison, because he was being persecuted again, this is what he writes. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from his own good works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, Saul counts everything he had as complete trash, as as utter garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus. And Saul had a lot. You know, he was an up-and-coming Jewish religious leader. He had money. We find out that he was a Roman citizen. He had, like, a lot going for him. And he's like, this is all trash compared to knowing Jesus. This is his motivation. That is why he's so eager to share Jesus no matter the cost. That's why he's so unashamed, because he sees the power of Jesus in him, in his own story. And he knows that because of what Jesus has done for him, he is a new man, completely and utterly saved, and he can't wait to share that with other people. He can't keep that inside of him. Saul is so transformed by the love of Jesus that he can't help but long to serve God and to share the love, mercy, justice, peace, and grace of God and his kingdom with everyone around him. And what does this mean for us? You know, for me at least, as as I've been studying this passage and as I've been working on this sermon, I can tell you that in, in many ways I've just been cut totally to the heart. I've been super convicted by this. Because I know that I share the same mission as Saul. And I know that I face pretty light opposition in comparison to him. Yet as I've already shared, I still shrink back. And I shrink back because I so often forget the simple gospel that I profess to believe. That I, Tylon, was once lost. That I ran from God choosing to do everything my own way. I forget that I was once imprisoned behind the bars of a pornography addiction, that I manipulated those around me for my own benefit, that I lied constantly to those who loved me most. I forget that I was once and still am the worst of sinners. 
and yet still God loved me. I forget that God loved me so much that Jesus, part of the triune God, chose to leave heaven and become a man like me, to live the perfect life that I once tried so desperately to live and failed constantly to, to die the death that I deserve to die no matter how much I denied my sin and was raised to life on the third day, conquering all that I most fear. I forget so easily that because of the finished work of Christ, salvation was offered to me as a free gift. I forget that on the day that by faith I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, all of my past, present, and future sins were washed away and I was clothed in the righteousness of God, that all of my good works were once like filthy rags before God. They meant nothing. But now I'm clothed in the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. I forget so easily that I was once enslaved to sin and under the wrath of God, but I have been set free and the arms of Jesus now embrace me with the love of God and will continue to embrace me for all eternity. You see, if I remember, if I truly remember what God has done for me, how can I not join Saul and be utterly unashamed in sharing the gospel of Jesus with those around me? And I think that especially now, as, as I look around and, you know, there's just so much hopelessness in the people around me that don't know Jesus. They're afraid and hopeless. And in the, in the words of Jesus, they're like sheep without a shepherd, just completely lost. How can I not share this good news with them? And you know, the, the same question can be asked of you, right? If you are a Christian, you also share in the mission of Saul and may face some opposition like him. And I ask, are you ashamed of your faith, afraid to share Jesus like I am? Remember the gospel of Jesus. Remember what God has done so that you may be unashamed like Saul. And if you're sitting here today or, or listening in on our live stream and have not yet by faith received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to ask you, man, what are you, what are you waiting for? Right now, you are under the just wrath of God as I once was. Yet the arms of the Savior are open wide, ready to receive you in his loving embrace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, um, Lord, for just your simple gospel, the reality of the fact that you love us so much that you would give your son, your, your very life up for us so that we might know you, so that we might enter into a relationship with you, so that we might be saved from our own evil and sins. Lord, I pray that we would no longer be ashamed of our faith. Lord, would you embolden me? Would you embolden, would you embolden us um, to, like Saul, share our faith with those around us? And Lord, if for those who don't know you, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in them, drawing them into your presence, drawing them into your loving arms. All right, I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you.